0: Uh, That's it. So let's pray, and then we'll get going on this wine passage. Father, we thank you uh, for this new life that you bring, the new life we see sprouting up all around us. Um, We thank you for the work that you've already been doing in us this morning, uh, the work that you've been doing in us throughout this whole week. And so, Lord, we, uh, we come and we're ready, and we're wanting to learn more. So Spirit, would you have your way in this room? You've been here long before we showed up. Uh, would you work through our hearts? Would you work through our minds? Uh, would you awaken our souls and our spirits? In Jesus' name, amen. There's a phrase at the end of this passage that says, this was the first sign. Uh, how, are, how many of you are good at noticing signs? Like when you're driving, you read all the signs? Something my dad told me to do when he first started driving was notice the signs. That way, if you're lost, you know what streets come where. It's come in handy, especially moving to Seattle, where none of the streets make sense. It, it, it was it was the, the every you, you read the signs, you know what's there. Signs are important for us to get. There's relationship signs. How many of you good are reading relational signs? Oh, I'm awful. We were we were planning our wedding, and. And uh, there was these invitations. Carrie didn't really ask me for a lot of my opinions. She just—that was cool because she just planned the day that we wanted. I was fine with it. Uh, But she had these invitations, and she brought them over to my house. And she's back there listening to this, and and she said, "Uh, "What do you think of these invitations?" And if someone's going to ask me what I think of it, I'm going to be very honest. I didn't like them. I should have read the signs. She loved these invitations. Right, Carrie? Uh, you love these invitations. I think she still has them in one of the books. Like, she loved them. And, and then, uh, <laughs> she just caught on. And then she goes, you don't like them? I said, no. She goes, they're Vera Wang. And I was like, who's he? I had no idea. I totally failed to read the signs that this was an important deal. Our invitations end up looking great. But I, I missed the sign on that one. Then there's the sign uh, in our cars. How, have, how many of you actually believe the gas light when it comes on? How many miles can you get? 30. 30, 20, 60? Okay, how many of you drive electric and you don't believe it when it says low battery? No, that that would scare me. Uh, I had a car once that the, the gas light never turned on. And I'm driving down the freeway and, and it's like midnight And all of a sudden, the whole engine just shuts down. And I have no idea what's going on. There was no sign for me to follow. I pull over. I start catastrophizing. This is an extra story. I start catastrophizing everything. Like, oh, no, I just blew the rod or whatever. I'm not an engine guy. Something's drastically wrong. Uh, I call my dad because he was the closest one in proximity where I was. It's like 1230. He's not thrilled. Uh, He says, call AAA. I'll be there to pick you up. We get there. AAA shows up. The tow truck backs in. The guy looks at the car, opens everything up, and then he pulls out a gas can. And I was like, oh. (laughs) And my dad looked at me and went, oh, buddy. And he kind of laughs, gets in the car and says, I think I know where you're stopping on the way home. Uh, But then we had a contest to see how close we can get to running out of gas and not actually running out of gas. The winner was the one that putted into into the gas station. And so we still we did that for a while, and even now I get gas. Dad's been gone three years. I get gas, and my tank holds 20 gallons. If I get to 19.995, I'm like, "Yes, I won. Anyways, there's signs, gas lights, there's signs all around us, and it's important that we start seeing some signs. The Gospel of John is built around seven different signs for him to show his readers who Jesus is. There's this one as the first one. There's the, there's the he heals the official son in a few chapters. The paralyzed man at Bethsaida. There's the feeding of the 5000. There's walking on water and then the last sign is a blind man or the, there's a sign of healing the blind man and then there's raising Lazarus from the dead. All of these were John's intentions to write back to his, the people of Israel, the the Jewish audience like, "Hey, this guy Jesus, look at the signs. He was more than just any kind of king he was the cosmic king this is look look here this is jesus breaking into earth this is heaven crashing into earth this is a new thing these are signs for him to get his readers to pay attention to what's happening so john recounts these miracle stories there's more than just these signs he just he wants us to he wants to highlight the big ones for us and he wants us to see the signs today that heaven still has the possibility of breaking into earth. That heaven can still happen in our mundane. That the mundane can become the miraculous. That in our everyday, God is breaking through in a new way. Perhaps you find yourself in a season, and we're doing a study in Lent called Seasons. Uh, perhaps you find yourself in a season where you're, everything's dry. It's become mundane. Life is just kind of ho-hum. You get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to bed and it's just on repeat all day and you start thinking to yourself, is there any way that God can break into this? Perhaps you're in a season and it's it's a hurtful season and you have no idea how God will ever break into this and you're wondering in this season of dryness that you're in, if God is ever going to make sense, if God is ever going to intervene. A few years ago, I was in one of those dry places and my and my friends noticed and we were at church, and they started to come, and, and they prayed for me in this season. And one of them got this picture, and, and I remember it vividly. He says, I feel that you're in this like this desert moonscape. If you're familiar with California, picture Lancaster. And it's just dusty and windy and gross. And you're sitting out there, and you're digging holes looking for water. You're in a dry season. And, and he was spot on. And his encouragement was this, there's clouds over the horizon, you just can't see them yet. Your job now is to trust that God is still working even in the midst of the dryness. Even in the midst of the mundane, there could still be a miraculous. And today, perhaps you find yourself in that season. And it's hard for you to even see the horizon through your frustration, through the tears, through the loneliness, through the anger, maybe through the disappointment. And you can't see, but you need to know that God is still working. The encouragement to me that day being prayed for is the same encouragement that we'll find today. Sit tight. Jesus is working. God is working. We'll see that here through the driest seasons, we can rest assured that God is still at work. And so in the passage today, we're going to look at a problem. We're going to look at a dialogue. And we're going to look at a solution. Because that's usually how we solve things, right? Ah, oh, there's a problem. Let's talk about it. Let's find a solution. That shows up in the passage today. So if you want to look back in your Bibles or your apps or follow along in John 2, we're introduced to the scene. It's a wedding. Weddings are some of the most normal things that can ever happen back in those days. And they were a big deal. The first thing we notice in the passage is that John says it was the third day. It was the third day of the wedding. And, 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 and Jesus finds himself there. So one, Jesus was cool enough to get invited to a wedding, which is a whole other thing. We can be cool. We can get invited to the wedding. It's an everyday thing. Jesus, his disciples, everyone goes to this wedding. It's the third day. Weddings usually last about seven days. How many of you have planned a wedding for one night and you're like, oh, that sucked. Yes, that's a lot of work. Imagine doing seven days. Seven days the wedding feast would have, five to seven. Uh, What would happen was this. uh, The the bride and the groom would not take their vows until the third day or the fourth day. And so it would depend if you were a widow and you were being remarried, remarried, your vows would take place, the actual ceremony would take place on the fourth day. Jesus shows up to this one, On the third day. And there's a lot of ink that has been written about what the third day means. Some people say that it's John recreating the Genesis narrative. And it could be, and it makes a lot of sense. And he starts with the first day in John 1, and and that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And the second day that the Word became flesh. And the third day happens here. Uh, this is the third day. If you look at the third day back in Genesis, it's when when God separates water from water and makes the sky, and this is the third day, and so everyone looks at this and goes, well, it's the third day in the creation narrative. And that makes a lot of sense, especially when you follow it all the way through the book of John and the very last day, God is recreating humanity in the in the resurrection. that works. Uh, and but there's other ways to see this. The third day could also be a nod to the resurrection. Jesus was dead for how many days? Three. We'll learn that on Easter, so we all can answer with confidence next time. <laughs> the third day, Jesus rose, and so in a way, this is, God, this is John saying, hey, three days, pay attention to this. Makes a lot of sense, but there's also this idea that it was the third day in a seven-day festival, and there was a problem. They ran out of wine. It was a big deal. The ceremony began with the evening with a fe- feast, And then they would parade through town and everyone, and they would take the longest route possible and everyone would wish well. The whole town would say, yay, congratulations. I don't know if they threw birdseed or rice or whatever you threw on them, but they would be happy. They would have a canopy over their heads. There'd be flaming torches nearby. It sounds like a fire hazard. Uh, They were taken through the town. Everyone wished them well. Then the couple would not leave on a honeymoon. They stayed home for a week and they had an open house to every single guest and they would provide food and wine for everyone that comes. So think about it. You just got married. You're not jetting off to somewhere to get away from everybody. Instead, you're staying home, and everyone's coming over to your house. Can you see why wine was important? That's a little bit of stress happening. It's an essential part. And so the rabbis had this saying when it came to wine. They said, where there is no wine, there is no joy. So we said, Makes total sense, there's no wine, there's no joy. So we see that running out of wine in your wedding was a huge deal. It was an embarrassment, kind of like breaking down on your car on the 520 freeway, right on the bridge. I did that once. Everyone drives by and gives the Seattle passive-aggressive stare, like, how dare you? I'm like, I'm sorry, my tire rod blue. There's nothing I can do. Everyone's looking at you, and you're ruining everyone's day, so they come in and there's no more wine. This is a big deal. It was symbolic of something. This had an imagery. Everything that we look at, there's symbolism behind it. Wine meant blessing. Blessing. We have these kind of things in our weddings, don't we? We have these superstitions that come along with it. You can't see each other before the wedding. used to be one. Carrie and I took pictures before the wedding together. A lot of people do that now. You're not supposed to give knives at a wedding. Did you know this? Oh, knives are a bad thing. If you receive knives at your wedding, send them, this is what you're supposed to do. In your thank you card, send back a dollar so you bought them instead of, the knives are for tearing apart apparently. This is just something that when you Google wedding traditions, this comes up. But, this, but running out of wine symbolized, if there is no wine, there is no joy. It symbolized that the couple was going to have a hard time uh, being fruitful together. To, to, to giving joy to other people. They would run out of their capacity to bless others. No wine, no joy, you will not be able to bless. So imagine, you're this couple... In the span of a few days, you've gone from a parade through town. You, you're saying your, your, uh, your, your vows tomorrow on the 4th. You know, you've just said your vows, and, and now you're out of wine. This isn't a great way to start your wedding. And so they are in this panic. Dry. They've ran into a season of dryness. And look how verse 3 starts. When the wine was gone. In the Greek, the verse, the verse actually starts with the Greek word kai. It means and. It says, and the wine was gone. It's not, a, it's, it's, if, it was a, if it was a total shock, if it was something that never ever happened, John might have used, and he uses this word later, behold. Which is uh, like, if you translate it to English, look buddy. Hey, behold, look here. This is important. Look buddy. This is out of the ordinary. He doesn't start with however. He doesn't start with and suddenly. it's, And the wine was gone. Uh, It it normalizes this problem. It tells me that running out of wine, though an embarrassment, happens. Times in our life when we go from much blessing and wine, there's going to be times in our life when we run out of wine. There's going to be seasons in your life where there's trouble. If you don't think there's going to be trouble in your life, just wait a minute. There's going to be trouble. When I do weddings, when I officiate weddings, I tell every single couple, some of you are in here, you're going to find trouble. Someone's going to do something. You're going to run out of gas. You're going to bounce a check. Someone's going to clog the sink. Trouble is going to find you. And if you think you're going to avoid it, sorry, you're in for a long, long trip. The problem was a normal one. It's a big one, but it's a normal one. It's the normal emergencies that you have in life. In life, there's going to be a time when you're going to be empty. And there might be multiple times where you're just going to be dry. Patience is going to run out. Yesterday, this happened to us. We went, uh, we had the bright idea in the morning to get the kids dressed and go on the Kingston Ferry and go across and have lunch on that big green thing, the patio park thing, and have lunch and then come back. Judy can ride on the boat. It's going to be a great thing. We get to the ferry. Everybody in the state had the same idea. So we struggle to find parking in Edmonds, and we park and we walk on thinking that'll be faster, but we missed the first ferry, and then the ferry was delayed coming back, so we're stuck in that hallway waiting to get on the ferry. You can't go back into the park, they won't let you re-enter now, and we're just stuck there for 40 minutes or so. Judah loved it. No. And then we get to Kingston, and we didn't know, but there's a kite festival, Everybody in Kingston is there. It is crowded. We go to this place where they have little tiny donuts that Judah loves. They are sold out of coffee. What? How do? You, how do you do this? And the donuts, Judah wasn't interested. So we try to find lunch. We walk up that street, and there's like four shops right there, and, and they're all there was a 50, there was a thirty minute wait for a hot dog. It was just one of those days where everything piled up. And it was like, oh man. You have a hungry three-year-old who's delayed on his nap. This is just going to get ugly. And then he starts running around and wants a kite. He doesn't even know what a kite is. They just look cool. And so he's, he's running around wanting everything. And then it's time to go. So we get him on the ferry. And, and so we had a missed nap. There was delayed naps. There were short naps for the five-month-old. Everything was just piling up. I counted four tantrums yesterday. This was before bed. After bed, he had two more tantrums while sitting in bed. This was just one of those days. And at the end of the day, Carrie and I sat down and went, oh, we are wiped. We have no capacity. I don't think we even said a word the last three hours we were up. It was just, this is it. We are dry. There's going to be times in your life where that day progresses for weeks Months there's going to be times in your life where you are dry that emptiness and, 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 and that, that dryness is something that we constantly try and avoid but we shouldn't because you're avoiding something that's inevitable you're going to be dry and if you think you're avoiding it if you think you'll always be happy perhaps you're happy and you're filled with the, the, the cheap wine instead of the good stuff Maybe you think you're happy and you're filled and you'll always be this way. It's because you're living on two buck chuck or the card bordeaux when it comes in a box or whatever it's called. You're not not experiencing the true joy that can come because the joy that is promised is a joy that starts in this emptiness and then Jesus fills are times and their seasons, will, where emptiness leads to a blessing. The emptiness that we all seek to avoid is the very state that is needed for us to receive Christ's transformation. There's a dialogue that happens, and, and he, he says it, it the next is the dialogue. When when the wine was gone, and the wine was gone, the mother, Jesus's mother, said to him, "They have no more wine." Jesus responded in verse four, "Woman, now if I said woman to my mom." this isn't a this isn't a bad, this isn't a degrading term. He said woman. He says woman three or four more times in John. He says it to the woman at the well. calls her woman. He says it to Mary Magdalene when she's trapped or caught in adultery. He calls her woman. And then at the cross when he's on, he looks at his mom and says, woman, behold your son. It's a term of endearment. We look at this and it's kind of like reading emotions through text messages. We don't know what exactly, how it's said, what it's said. But he says woman, it's, it's, it's not a sharp rebuke from Jesus. It's not hand slapping you can look by uh, Mary's response she's not angry with this and so he says woman my hour's not yet time Uh, my my hour's not here yet and I think Mary is looking around and she notices a problem Matthew and Luke would probably say if they were reading this the other gospel writers that she knew who Jesus Jesus was so she knew that he could fix this but moms have this idea that their sons can fix everything right my mom will call me on a weekly basis. And, and even when I lived there, when I lived in California, she would call me over to the house to do this. But now she just calls and be like, yeah, how are you? And I know she's going to ask me something. She goes, Brad, on Facebook, there's always that two-second pause. Brad, I got this email, and I think it's a scam. And, and It probably is, Mom. And, and so she calls, and it's all... It, there, and so Mary's looking at this. She sees a problem. She knows her son can fix it. And she wants to fix this embarrassment that's happening. This is embarrassing for this couple. The problem is there. They're experiencing dryness. They need to be fixed. And so she looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, they're out of wine. The wine ran out. And Jesus says, woman, what is this? And I think, I think Jesus is really saying, I don't know what you want me to do about this. What, what do you want me to do here? And we get stuck here. There's a lot of people that get stuck in this part of, uh, uh, of the passage. And, and we like to imagine what Jesus' voice was like. We like, uh, we like to, to debate whether or not Jesus disobeyed. And, and, and we get caught in the weeds here a little bit. But what actually happened here is a good pattern for us to follow. When you look back a little bit. What was Mary's first move? She sees this problem. What's her first move here? Shouldn't it be ours too? The first move, everyday problems, and the wine runs out, and dryness happens, and the seasons get hard. Her first move, Jesus. It seems simple, and it's almost too simple to bring up, because it's like a Sunday school lesson. Yay, Jesus. But we don't do this, right? You have a blowout argument tomorrow morning with your spouse on your way to work. Who's the first person you call? Your buddies. Something happens. There, there's something that happens in life and the first person that you uh, the, the job transitions you out, you, you're unemployed. What's the first thing you do? Who should you, Who should be your first call? Jesus. When the doctor calls, where'd you go? Panic, worry. Mary's first problem. Mary's, Mary's problem, first place she goes. Jesus, when the money's gone, when things happen in life, it seems overly simple, but we still don't do the simple things. It's fundamental. Uh, uh, most of us, maybe some of us, are watching the NCA two, two tournament, and and none of us, no one's—I don't think anyone's supposed to like Duke. I like Duke, and Coach K was interviewed a long time ago. He's a really good coach, and he says, "What do you do? I teach the fundamentals." Vince Lombardi, one of the best coaches in football, started every football camp with saying this, this gentleman is a football. And then he would go on and they would learn the whole how to play football over again. It's the fundamentals. And if you miss the fundamentals, you miss everything else. Here, Mary shows us a fundamental. Turn to Jesus. Problems happen. The first thing she goes, the wine was gone. Jesus. When dryness comes, the first place to go. Jesus. The first turn, Jesus. It's hard to do. It's the best thing to do. It's the first thing to do. Notice what she says next. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she says, there's a problem. Jesus goes, what's this have to do with me? And then she just ignores his response, looks at the servants and goes, do whatever he tells you. I imagine there's a, a very good motherly side eye and a tone to this. Do whatever he tells you. He's going to obey. This this is, I, I, I see that happening. Maybe with, uh, the moms are good at that, but this five word command, do whatever he tells you. Yeah, that's five words. He. This is a pattern that picks up in the rest of John. We start to see this in John chapter six. There's uh, the, 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 uh, woman or the the bread was made they come and and they say what do we need to do to follow you and Jesus says this in John 6:29 the work of God was this to believe in the one he sent believe trust do act the whatevers that Jesus says do whatever tells you to do there are a lot of whatevers that Jesus tells us to do we don't we, we always concentrate on the big ones, the Matthew 5s, the don't, don't hate, love your neighbors, don't be greedy. We always focus on those, but we miss some of them. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. In our seasons of dryness, when they come, when our crises arise, the most important thing that we can do is trust. And trusting shows by you doing whatever he tells you to do. Trust. He said he would act. He said he would bless. Trust that. When my friends were praying for me that night and they had this picture, the encouragement was simply this. Trust that God's at work. Just over the horizon there's rain. It'll come. Trust. Mary exemplifies this trust for us. She doesn't know how he's going to do this. She doesn't really need to know how he's going to do this. It's none of her business. She just says, Jesus, here's a problem. I'm going to leave this here. And I'm going to tell the people around us who are aware of this problem. They're the only ones who know that the problem exists. Do whatever he tells you to do. Trust him. In your seasons of dryness, trust him. How many of you, when you're praying like crazy in the seasons in your life, when you actually do go to Jesus, how many of your prayers start off with, Jesus, here's the problem, but then they end with, and here's the list of how things should be done. We do this. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. We start giving Jesus a recipe. And there's, there's good things in praying and specifics. That's a good thing. We should be specific when we pray. But there's this idea that when we pray, we go to him and say, Jesus, help. I'm in this season. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you that there's rain coming. Jesus, here's the problem. And I trust you that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And then we trust and move on. And we trust that God will break into our reality. And when he does, there's a solution. So we have a problem. Wine's gone. We have a dialogue. What am I going to do with this? Trust him. And then there's the solution. Look in verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons. These were the, the jugs that they would wash their feet with, wash their hands with. It was when you walked into a house to be clean, this is what they would do. And so there's six of them. John, uh, John is showing us another sign here that Jesus is possibly fulfilling some kind of uh, Jewish uh, cleanliness code of, of Judaism, that in Christ the laws are fulfilled. But more than that, uh, notice that Jesus uses what's at hand yeah we can spend a lot of time talking about the Jewish codes but there's a bigger picture here Jesus uses the mundane for the miraculous look at this and in, in verse 7 Jesus said to his servants fill the water jars so they are filled so they filled them to the brim then he told them now draw some out take it to the master of the banquet There's no abracadabra here. There's no big flashy thing. There's no uh, hand being waved. There's just three simple commands. Fill the water jars, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. Fill to the brim, draw some out, take to the head waiter. The command is simple, but the results are extraordinary. There's no command to, to completely surrender. There's nothing that these guys had to do. All they needed to do was trust In these things, and obey. Fill, draw, take. There's not a burdensome requirement. Trust to trusting Him. There's only trusting Him. We tend to add steps in order to get through our seasons of dryness, right? You can go to the Christian self help book section in whatever bookstore you have or on Amazon, and there's always five steps to bringing blessing to your life. Or, or there's everyone has a way out, and trust me, I've looked into them, and they all don't work. But we want to find out how we can get through this. The command is simple trust him, do what he says, and they did so. End of verse 8 and verse 9. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where to come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests had to had too much to drink. But you saved the best for last. In Greek, the miracle is described as four words. The water wine became. Very simple. Not a lot of Not a lot of flair there. We don't know when it happened, we know how it happened, and we know the results that followed. There were no fireworks, there's no displays, Jesus doesn't take a victory lap and ask everyone, how's the wine? Like the, <laughs> what was that old the old uh, the old commercial? Do you know you're drinking Folgers? And then Chris Farley freaks out that one. He does. He doesn't put like, you're using toilet water as wine. He doesn't go around telling everybody, the water became wine. That's it. Those four words, the wine water became. Results, the results are simple. There's deep satisfaction. The only comment that was said about this was for some reason you kept the best until now. Wine gives out, wine runs out, dry seasons come, crises will arise, things will happen around us, seasons fluctuate. However, we have the same privilege that they had back in the day. We know the owner of the winery. And the command is simple, trust and do what he says. Which, depending on how long you've been in this dry season, is often the hardest part. If you're just starting in the dry season, you're not really that dry yet. You still have your, it's, it's hard, don't get me wrong, but you, you still have the resources that you've made. You still have some energy. And so it's easy to say, oh yeah, this will be a breeze. When we went through our dry season, I thought it was going to last two or three weeks Little did I know it was going to last two or three years. I thought, yeah, I'd be fine. I'll just, I'll find a job real quick. It'd be no problem. It should be easy. It wasn't. And then as the time wore on, it became harder and harder and harder to trust. Maybe you've been in this dry season for a long time, and the idea of trusting is like, yeah, yeah, right. I'm not going to do that. What's what's the point of that? Your faith and your belief has faded. And we'll stop believing anything will ever happen. That's where I was when my friends prayed for me that night. I was waiting for rain. I'd been digging holes everywhere, trying to find my own way out. And that's why their word meant so much, and it still echoes to me today. Trust. There's rain coming. Do what he says fill, draw, take. Simple commands. There's something else that stood out to me about in this passage. And the last night, as, we were, as I was still kind of frustrated with my son, I'm, I'm reading through the passage, and something stood out in the very end of this. Uh, it says that the disciples believed in him. But if you look back in, verse, in chapter 1, in verses 35 through 51, we're not going to read all 20 of those verses. Let me just tell you what happens. Jesus calls his disciples. And each one of his disciples at that point believes in him. Then why... In verse 11 here does it say that when Jesus was here in, in Cana Agali Galilee was the first sign which revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him again. And, and the right way to say this was they believed into him. They, they took their trust and placed it into Jesus. They believed into him again. It doesn't say again, but they did this in chapter 1. It's again. And I wonder if the reason that John puts this in here is simply to teach us that sometimes believing in Jesus is something that we have to repeat for ourselves every single day. Like breathing or eating or hopefully brushing your teeth. It's something we do every day that we need to remind ourselves. We need to believe in him again. I wonder if there are some here who need to begin believing in him again. Seasons and times have gotten hard. We need to believe in him, that he can break through into your story again. Heaven breaks into earth. That's the entire thing of John. Heaven comes to earth and God became flesh and dwelt among us. And this plays out for the next entire book God comes to you. Heaven breaks in. And today, maybe you've been sitting here for so long and it's time for you to begin trusting and believing again. Maybe it's time for you to see the sign that God is still working over the horizon even though it might be hard to catch. There's still symbols of it. There's signs that God is working around us and that your soul will spring to life again. If this is true, I'd love to pray for you now, that God would bring life to you, that bring rain to your dry soil, that would bring forth a, a fruit, and that you would have a closeness to him today. Can I pray for you? Will you bow your heads? Father, we thank you that you do bring wine when there's dryness that even though we're in the dry desert of our lives and we're digging holes trying to find a drink, uh, the promise is that you are still working. And Lord, whether our crisis is something that's the everyday that sometimes things happen kind of crisis, or whether the crisis is a major one, God, you're working. And so Lord, right now I want to pray for those who have Stopped believing that you will do anything. That have stopped thinking that you will ever break through. That, that have convinced themselves that you're done. And maybe they're here just out of habit. So Lord, I want to pray for them, God, that you would send them a sign. That there is life coming. That there is rain just over the horizon. Mm-hmm. And Lord, while they're in their dry season, I pray that they learn to trust. That their first turn is you. In the middle of their problem, their first turn is towards you. Not to something that they can do, not to their friends for advice. Their first turn is to trust. Lord, may we all learn to trust you today. Trust you that wine will come. That blessing will will return. And in the middle of the dry seasons, you are still with us. You never leave us, never forsake us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.